we're actually kicking off a brand new series called The Difficult Sayings of Jesus. Turn to a neighbor and say, it's difficult sometimes. There's this unique phenomenon where across the globe, across cultures, there's this sort of uh, overwhelming respect for Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, he's a wise sage. And yet while we often hold his general personage in high regard, we often give very little attention to his actual words. What does he say? If we hold him in such high esteem, it would behoove us to look at his words for ourselves, right? And so the the next two months, June and July, we're going to be diving into the book of Matthew. We're doing a deep dive. If you want to join along with us, want to read it together as a microchurch in your community, with your roommates, with your spouse, with friends that you're doing discipleship stuff with, we're going to be going through the book of Matthew, doing a deep dive in particular to these difficult, intricate, sometimes confusing words of Jesus. If we agree that he's good, wise, then let's listen to him. Amen? So turn to your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we got Sky Bible on the screen for your viewing enjoyment. South Florida sports fans, we're in. We both lost, but we're in. All right? So Florida Panthers, Miami Heat. It feel, I got to admit, in the midst of a sabbatical where I'll have some extended time to breathe, getting to watch two championships simultaneously every other day feels like every good and perfect gift comes from God, and he knows our love languages, right? So that just feels so fitting and appropriate. My son also caught his first fish yesterday, his first bass, which I'm very excited about. I was like, buddy, if you like fishing, this is a good time. Sabbatical's a good time. So anyways, not the point, but it's kind of the point. I just wanted to share that. Verse 21, Jesus is speaking to one of his disciples, Peter. And it says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked him a question that I'm sure none of us ever wrestle with, but let's pretend. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. He's so generous here. Jesus answers him, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You're like, I can keep track of that, Jesus. That's one, that's two. I'm gonna count. I can keep track of that. If you read in other versions, Jesus, it's also translated 70 times seven, which is much more, 490, right? The point is, forgive them as many times as you lose count and then just keep on forgiving. Then Jesus, he jumps into the story, this parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle accounts. A man who owned him 10,000 talents, uh, down in my footnote it says about a million dollars, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, right? So you're tracking with the story. You got a master, servant owes him millions of dollars, the footnote say. This would be the equivalent here in our modern vernacular. The servant fell on his Uh, The master comes to him, says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Then the servant falls on his knees, verse 26, before him and says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's amazing. For so many of us, we get the parallels and the spiritual nature of this story. That is I, me, you, us. Online, in the room, JCI, it's us. But the story continues. 
But when that servant, remember the one who had just been forgiven millions of dollars, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, if you're wondering what a hundred denarii is, this would be the equivalent of a few bucks. Millions of dollars, a few bucks. He owes him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees, sound familiar, and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But the servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. Somebody say, oh. And the master said to him, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had, what does it say? Do you deserve mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy, undeserved forgiveness on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, verse 34, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then he drops the bomb. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Talk about a difficult saying from Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, please help. Amen. Turn your neighbor, tell him get ready, find your seat. Online in the room, what's up to the JCI crew in Guyana? We're gonna dive into this thing. Many of you know, but some of you might not, I am a former English teacher, an English major. I am a word nerd, but somehow as a former English teacher, English major, I have uh, been gifted by God a math kid. My son, Liam, who's six, about to be seven, he is a total math kid. I don't know where it came from. We were spending time last week. We had some of our local missions partners here and, uh, and it was an incredible time. And one of those missions partners is Firewall Center. They do amazing uh, mentoring and tutoring with at-risk youth right here in our community, all throughout Broward schools. I've known the directors, Andy and Janeth for a long time. And so after service, I was out there hanging with my buddy, my son, Liam, and, and they're like, oh, you know, we're talking. And so Janeth starts chatting up Liam, who's never met a stranger. And she's like, oh, Liam, how, what do, you, how do you like school? He's like, I like it. And she's like, What's your favorite subject? And he's like, math. I'm like, thank God. By the way, any parents in here, what sort of witchcraft are they doing these days that they call math? Like, what is this? I'm like, I, I can't even understand it. I'm like, what is this sorcery you said? So my son will come to me and be like, dad, we gotta do our homework. I was like, well, son, why don't you do it? And I'll just watch to make sure you can do it right. And in the background, I'm like, please, Lord Jesus, because I don't know how to do this first grade math, right? It's crazy, but anyway, it's not the point. He's like, I love math. And she's like, oh, that's so great. And so he, he decided, he, he's like, well, he, get, he likes cards. So anytime someone has a handout, he loves the free stuff. And so he's, he grabbed everything at their table. I was like, oh, son, bless your heart. And he's like, I want, so he grabbed a volunteer card. And she's like, oh, that's for people to volunteer. He's like, I'll volunteer. I was like, we'll use you at Greenhouse Church, son. You come on with me, we got you. And so he's filling out his card and he's like, dad, what's my email? I was like, well, bud, you, you don't have an email. He's like, no, 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 what's my email? I'm like, I'm not gonna put my email because I live firewall, but I'm not volunteering right now. You know, I'm like, I'm about to go on sabbatical. I'm like, just make up an email, son. He's like, okay. So he starts writing his name, L-I-A-M. I was like, he's like, what else? I was like, just put some number and then like at gmail.com. And he's like, I was like, what's your favorite number, bud? He's like, pie. 
know you're a math kid when your favorite number is pi. I said, how do you know about pi? He's like, dad, it's 3.14. I'm like, oh my, get, 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 who are you? Who are you? Any math people here, you're like, that, that is I, that was me. All right, shout out to the math people. We can count y'all. I, 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 numbers, amen, it's good. I'm relatively proficient at math. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a words guy. But I tell this story because I love my son and I thought it was very cute, but also there's a unique phenomena where across the human spectrum, whether you consider yourself a mathematician or not, we all seem to be experts in math in one particular area. That was well-timed actually. Thank you, young child. From the mouth of infants and babes, he will ordain praise. There is this unique phenomena in the human condition where inexplicably, we all seem to be a planet full of experts at counting the offenses that others have done against us. We need a calculator. God forbid, I'm like, I, I, I was talking with Nancy last night, she found something on the internet and she's like, this is hilarious. She's like. People can look at whatever history they want. Just please don't look up my calculator history. Like, what is three times five again? Like, what is this? It's been a while. Like, we, we, you might struggle with math in every other area. But when it comes to counting the offenses against you, how are we all so inexplicably good at that? We can't, we can't remember what we ate for breakfast yesterday, but we can remember what someone did to us 10 years ago. It's this unique phenomenon. It's, it's part of our inherent brokenness that God wants to address and bring to a place of flourishing and thriving. It, it spans the human spectrum. It's husbands versus wives and parents and kids and roommates and friends and, and bosses and coworkers. This reality of counting offenses, being so acutely aware of the offenses of others against us, it actually is so woven into the fabric of our humanity that it goes all the way back to the very beginning of our story in the book of Genesis. If you remember the story in Genesis chapter three, God tells humanity, Adam and Eve, he says, you can do whatever you want, but don't eat from this one tree. And what do they do? They eat from it. And then God comes to them and says, what happened? And you remember what Adam's response is? It's not repentance, what is it? Well, this woman that you put in my life, he immediately, rather than asking for the mercy and forgiveness of God, he immediately goes to counting out and numbering the offense of Eve against himself. And we have been continuing in this trajectory ever since. Instead of receiving God's forgiveness, Adam and Eve were too busy blaming one another and counting their offenses against them. And this keeping track, this holding on of offenses is present and pervasive in our culture, maybe now more than ever. We hold on to these things. We hold on to these grudges. We hold on to these wounds. We hold on to these offenses. And oftentimes they are egregious and atrocious and we'll get into that and it is wrong. But here is what we often do not realize. When we hold on to these things, they destroy our relationships. Here's what's at stake for us this morning. Maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you're like, man, I, there's no way I'm gonna forgive. And you've already got in your mind who there is no way. They don't deserve it. Here's what happens. If we do not forgive, we become a type of person who does not forgive. And if we become a type of person that does not forgive and we don't get a gear for forgiveness, not only will we struggle to have any sort of healthy long-term relationships with fallen, fragile, imperfect people who will invariably wrong us whether they intend to or not, 
but our own souls, according to Jesus, will suffer the greatest damage. And so Jesus, because he loves us, because he knows our frame, because he created us, because he desires for us to flourish and thrive like he intended us to, he tells us this deeply challenging story about forgiveness and counting offenses to help us thrive. That's why he does it, to help us thrive, to help us experience life and life abundantly. You guys ready to take a look at it together? I want to unpack some truths that Jesus drops on us from the story. But first, I've got a big idea. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. Here is my core thought or premise as we dive into the subject matter at hand that is a challenge to our modern sensibilities. I get it. Here's the big idea. The heart that forgives often reflects our king and master the most. The heart that forgives often reflects our king and master the most. You and I thrive when we are living according to the image that we have been created in. It's the image of God. So let's start where it starts. Point number one is this. What is forgiveness? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's a good question. We got to start here. If Jesus says we've got to forgive, what is forgiveness? Peter asks a good question, a, a legitimate question, one that I mentioned tongue in cheek, we never ask, but it's one that we regularly ask and consider. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I get it. You're like the rabbi. You float out of bed in the morning. You seem to not care when people literally and metaphorically spit in your face. But for us mere mortals, I get that we should forgive. But Jesus, all right, let's just level it. How many times are we talking here? This is Peter's question. He's like, Lord, I know we have to forgive. And I think for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how many, how many times do I need to do this? The problem with Peter's question is he thinks about forgiveness in, in relation to a mathematical formula. Peter's wrestling with something that we all struggle with, right? Can we all just say forgiveness is difficult? Can we yes and amen that one? Forgiveness is a challenge. Peter is wrestling with something that's very human, that is familiar to our frame. When someone wrongs me, whether it be unintentional or maliciously intentional, do we forgive or not? And if we do once, do we do twice, thrice, fourths? I don't know how you say that. Five, six, seven, if you actually think about it, he's being rather generous in the human framework. Unfortunately, the reality of our human experience is we all face offense, betrayal, hurts, wounds, humiliation, disappointment. We'll experience it from people that are far and distant and those near to us. And when people hurt us, we instinctively feel this need for vengeance. For, 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 rest, for things to be made, for people to have to pay for the hurt they inflicted. I need you to understand that when Jesus is calling disciples, he's not just calling superhuman, uh, un unrelatable individuals who are just super spiritual and float. He's calling humans like Peter and he's calling humans like me and humans like you. I need you to know this does not come naturally to anybody. You're like, well, it's just hard for me. Yeah, it's hard for all of us. So Jesus responds to Peter's question about forgiveness in the way that he often does with this parable. 
Now, we'll, we'll hear about these parables. We'll probably experience several of these parables throughout this difficult sayings of Jesus series, throughout this June and July series through the book of Matthew. These parables are earth stories so we can connect with the context with a supernaturally profound heavenly meaning. This is what rabbis or teachers did within the Jewish tradition, but it's a very profound way to unpack deep, sometimes seemingly esoterical ideas in very practical, tangible ways. Jesus use these often, and I would argue this parable is just as important and potent today as it was back then, if anything, maybe even more so. We live in a culture at this point that almost celebrates and venerates offense. Man, you hold that grudge. Stick it to them. If anything, we might need this story more than ever, given our current cultural climate. So what is forgiveness? You asked a question, you still didn't answer it, John, pastor. What is forgiveness? All right, so let's, let's start by looking at the passage as it highlights what forgiveness is not, which is important. Forgiveness is not condoning the wrong that someone has done. There is a debt here, and it's not like, there was someone who said a debt, but it's like, ah, it's no big deal. It's not saying it's no big deal. It is not condoning the wrong that was done. It's not a subversion of justice either. We see that the, the master comes and says, hey, you have millions of dollars worth of debt, grievances, and offenses. There needs to be an accounting for. God, will, scripture is clear. God is the righteous judge. He will hold everyone accountable and bring everything to account. No one gets a free pass without some sort of a dealing with of offenses. Forgiveness is also not denying that a wrong was committed. If you look in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man was owed him 10,000 talents and was brought to him. In this parable, Jesus is saying there, was, there were wrongs committed, there was a debt incurred, and so the master, the king, the righteous one has to deal with those things because he is both loving and he's the righteous judge. This means that you can forgive and still hold people accountable for their actions and wrongdoing. This means that you can forgive and still confront somebody about wrongdoing and sin. In fact, Matthew 18, which we'll get into later, is an incredibly wise, it's a, it's a goldmine from Jesus of dealing with offense and, and relational friction in healthy, redemptive ways that lead to deep relationships and flourishing rather than fractured relationships or shallow relationships. Jesus is a genius. Forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences. There may be consequences, even with forgiveness. There are earth realities that, that people have to deal with. Anybody in here got a testimony? Anybody in here been rescued by Jesus? Did all of your earth consequences go away? Not all of them, right? You're like, so, some stuff is, uh, uh, heaven will permanently deal with stuff, but there are consequences still on earth. There's loss of freedom. We know this just in human relationships. If your kids do something, you might forgive them, but they're going to be grounded. If you do something as an adult, you, you might at some point be forgiven, but there might be jail time that is incurred. There's a loss. If you're in a relationship and there's offense that happened, there might be forgiveness, but there's a loss of trust that must be rebuilt over time. But Jesus's call is abundantly clear for his disciples to call us to forgive. The call is forgiveness. Now, I get that this is challenging. You say, John, 
if this is hard, or, or to your point, if this is hard for everybody, if it's not just ancient Peter, but it's modern me, why would Jesus ask me to do something? If he loves me so much, why would Jesus ask me to do something that is so hard? Great question. Great question. Let's go to point number two. Point number one is what is forgiveness? Point number two is why should we forgive? Why, why should I knowing what my Rolodex is of grievances, some of which might be drastically severe. Why should I even think about forgiving? You ever misjudged how big of a deal something was? Ever been there before? Ever tried like a hot sauce that you thought was like, oh man, I like hot, I like spicy. And then you were like, oh. Uh, I was, uh, the, other, the other week I was in Lakeland, I helped coach some of our church planners all throughout the state, Orlando and Jacksonville and Tampa. And, um, and so we were spending some time together right before sabbatical. We had a pastor's conference in Lakeland. And so Zach and Kelly, who are the pastors of Greenhouse in Jacksonville, they're amazing. If you guys are watching, love you guys. They're incredible. If you have friends or family members in Jacksonville, man, have them at least go check out Greenhouse Jacks. It's an amazing church. So they were there and, and they had gone to school in Lakeland. And so I was like, hey, why don't you guys pick some of your favorite spots while you guys were there in school? food-wise, and we'll like, give us some, you know, you know the lay of the land, and we'll go. So we went to this little taqueria, and it was this little, like, that's, the best tacos are always in the most random spots. Like, the sketchier it looks, the better it's gonna be, right? Taco fans, can I get an amen? And so this one looked all the part. It was like this interesting, like, little tienda, and it had, so we're like, we go to this little food truck-looking taqueria, and we get it, and, and we're getting ready to eat, and they had these two different salsas, and so I just grabbed the one that looked appealing to me, and I'm about to just lather the taco, and Zach goes, no! You would've thought it was like a superhero. No! All dramatic. I was like, dude. He's like, don't do that. I was like, I, I need to hear this story. Apparently, he's like, oh yeah. He said, so Kelly and I were dating and uh, I like spicy food. I was like, yeah, me too. He's like, that's what I thought. He said, and Kelly's parents were here and it was like our first major interaction. Her parents were in town, they were visiting, they wanted to check out this boy that now is dating their daughter. And, and so they're there and we ordered these tacos and I did what you did. I took the salsa, I had this little you know, plastic container and I just like, zoop, put the whole thing on there because I figured you know, one for one. And I took a bite of the taco and instantly realized I am gonna be in trouble because what comes in? <laughs> right? He's like, oh no. I was like, man, I'm so sorry. He's like, oh no, it gets worse. We were spending the whole day with them. So I was running back and forth to any restroom available, including their hotel room and Airbnb, you know, like bathroom, blowing that thing up. Like it was like the fires of Mordor, you know, like, and he's like, to the point that her parents were like, is he okay? He's like, I, I would not wish this on my worst enemy. Like, please try a little bit of the salsa. So I was like, God bless you, my brother. Tried a little bit of the salsa and was like, I will put like a few drops on my taco and be adequately spiced for the day. I wonder if we think about that hot sauce and it's the same reality of the way we think about forgiveness. Is it, I mean, I could deal with it. I mean, it's not that big. I just, I wonder if we've, approached forgiveness in the same way, like it's, like it's no big deal. Like, Pastor John, I, I hear you. I know this is gonna be a great message for my friend. Like, oh man, I gotta send this one to my roommate. Oh my, I got, and you're thinking about it. And you're like, but for me, I'm good. I'm good, like I'm, I'm over it. Like I've, I've moved on. 
It's no big deal. It's fine. And, and where the old adage was forgive and forget, the modern uh, appropriation is now forget and move on. Notice a step that's been skipped. And so we think, yeah, yeah, it's fine because we don't see them anymore because we've canceled them in our mind and heart. We've moved on from the relationship. But the reality is you're still holding this rock called unforgiveness that Jesus says will terrorize your soul in ways that you do not realize until often it is way too late. Think about the irrationality of this story. Buddy gets forgiven millions of dollars and then he goes to his fellow servant and holds him to the coal and throws his family in jail for a few dollars. That's crazy, right? That's completely illogical. Jesus says, yeah, that's what unforgiveness does to a soul. It moves you beyond rationality to do things you never thought you would do until you do them. To become a person you never thought you would be until you are. See, unforgiveness at the soul level is not no big deal. It, it, is, it is a terrorist of the soul, holding us hostage, destroying us. And when we hang on to these offenses, something is happening to us on the inside, within our souls, between us and ourselves and who we've been created to be. And ultimately, Jesus says, between us and God. So Jesus lays out very clearly the why behind forgiveness. Pastor John, okay, what is forgiveness? Okay, I get it. It's not giving a, a, a blank pass. It's not saying it was fine. It's not saying it was no big deal. It could be a very, very big deal. So why should we forgive? Here's what Jesus says, verse 27. He says, a servant's master, this is a parallel of God in heaven, people on earth. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant turns back around and does not forgive his brother, his fellow servant, verse 35, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless what? You forgive your brother or sister. Just wanna make that explicit. So no one's like, sweet, I only have to forgive males. Church people do crazy stuff, y'all. Things I hear. Your brother or sister, human being, from your heart, from your heart. By the way, if you're like, yeah, yeah, but I know like every now and then, like there, there's things in scripture and they're just kind of one-offs. And this is not some one-off story that Jesus told because he had like bad pizza the night before and he's just kind of delusional. Like this is a recurring theme of scripture echoed throughout the teachings of Jesus and beyond. How many of you have heard of the Lord's Prayer before? This is in, on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter six. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our... As we forget... It's a, it's a, here is the equation. Forgive us our debts, our forgiveness equals as we forgive those who have wronged us. We then, get, we, we kind of skip, we go over that one real fast. But for thine is the kingdom, God is all about you. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. By the end, we don't even remember that Jesus told us we have to forgive people. We're just like, amen. You know how he ends the Lord's prayer? Let me read it to you on the screen. He says, this is the end of the Lord's prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, what does it say? Your heavenly father will also forgive you. Sweet, that's amazing. Oh my goodness, even when I'm a punk? Yes, even when you're a punk. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, what does he say? No, that's Bible. That's Jesus. Forgive us our debts as, my dad used to say, you gotta get your as in the right place. Don't be mad at him, be mad at him. He's in heaven right now, he doesn't care, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why should we forgive? It's very simple. Let me ask you a question, not theoretically, but in real life. Do you need forgiveness from God? Online, Guyana, JCI, I know y'all are so awesome leaders, but all of us, right? Who needs forgiveness from God? Show of hands. Here's the great news. God offers it freely with mercy and grace as long as you do the same. Jesus says that your heavenly father would love to forgive you and he is happy to give forgiveness to any who need it as long as you do also. You're like, but I thought we were saved by, by grace alone through faith alone. Oh, you are. You are not earning anything, but you can block things away, apparently, according to Jesus. Why forgiveness? Because you need forgiveness. Why forgiveness? Because you need the grace of God in your life. Paul says it later. He says, make sure that, that, that no root of bitterness springs up and, and, and we fall short of the grace of God. How in the world? This forgiveness thing, it's a big deal. Here's what happens. We get wronged by somebody. And I want to be sensitive here because often it is in very deeply scarring, horrible, heinous, wicked, sinful, demonic, evil ways. And I'm so, so sorry. And that broke God's heart. And it's not okay. And it's not no big deal. And Jesus is, he, he's aware of our frame. He's not just talking about trivial scenarios. But when we are wounded, we do this self-protective mechanism that does not protect ourselves. We grab people's offenses and we close our fists around them. And we say, this thing was wrong. And I'm never letting it go. This thing was wrong. And, and I'm... I'm not, they're, they're not gonna do this to anybody else as if this would help that from, this thing was wrong. And we hold on to it with a closed fist thinking that what we're doing is holding them accountable and what we are actually doing according to Jesus is we are blocking out the mercy and forgiveness of God. Juxtapose it with this. When we open our hands, we are not saying, God, it's fine what they did. It, 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 is, it is not. We're not saying it's no big deal. It, it's, if it's a big deal and it hurt you, it's a big deal to God, it's a big deal to us, it's a big deal. What you're saying is, God, I cannot sit in the spot of judge and do it in the right way without my heart and countenance and personhood being warped and twisted. So I need to let you be the judge and he will. He'll deal with it on earth and if unrepented, he'll deal with it for all of eternity. But we open our hands and when we allow forgiveness to flow from us, we allow forgiveness to flow to us and through us. And the cycle continues. And so Jesus, because he loves us and wants us to flourish and thrive, he tells this story. 
we oftentimes close our fists around people and situations thinking that we're going to hold it against them. And the reality is you are not punishing them. You are punishing you and you're blocking God's forgiveness from your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is a compounded problem. We live in a culture right now where we uh, celebrate, even venerate offenses and unforgiveness and, and holding offense. We're like, yeah, we're gonna let every, this is the, you know, we're in the social media age and so we can just magnify what's always been the human condition where we could put up people's wrongdoing that might be legitimately wrong and then we clamp around it with closed fists. The text shows our frame. We are very adept and enjoy keeping track of people's wrongdoing. And by the way, when we do that, that often serves as our self-justification for what we do back to them. Well, yeah, I mean, I know I did ABC, but you know they did X, Y, Z. As if, it, as if that's the point of the math equation. And Jesus comes back and says, y'all got the equation wrong. You are failing the test. And the stakes are high. Forgive as You've been forgiven. See, often our story is we long for mercy and grace much more than we're willing to give it. What happened to the servant at the beginning of the story? He's in millions of dollars of debt, and he immediately hits his knees and says, please have mercy on me. And then he turns around, and for a few bucks does not give the same mercy and grace that he's abundantly received to somebody else. We often long for more grace than we're willing and prepared to give. And it does not lead to our thriving. While we're very good at keeping track of the expenses of other people, what we actually want, what you and I actually want in our low moments is what? We want mercy. You ever been in a conversation before and someone is, you, you thought there was friction and things were, and, and then you finally find out that you were right and, and they're like, well, when you said this, when you did this, and you're like, oh, but that's not what I meant, right? That's not what I was, when we end up as the offender, we want mercy. But when we're offended, we say justice, but oftentimes what we really want is vengeance. Jesus makes very clear it, it does not work that way. It doesn't work that way. Why should we forgive? Because we need forgiveness also. Why should we forgive? Because we have racked up millions of dollars of debt against a holy and righteous God when he has done nothing wrong and he has freely offered forgiveness and invited us if we wanna enjoy that to do the same. Why should we forgive? Because all of eternity and the flourishing of your soul is at stake. That's why we forgive. Which brings us to the third and final question. Everybody take a breath. My name's John. I'm your friend. How in the world do we do this? Like, oh, okay. All right, what is forgiveness? I get it. You're not saying just give people a pass. Like, you deal with it in robust ways. Okay, amen. Why should we forgive? Okay, yes, Jesus is not. Like, some things are like, well, biblically, it's a little bit ambiguous. This is not biblically ambiguous. How do we do it? This is where we often lose it. Here's my application. Here's our, my dream for us as a faith community, that you and I, that we would learn to forgive others like Jesus has forgiven you. That, that, like, if you remember nothing else from this talk, that is the equation, if you wanna say it that way, that Jesus gives. Here's all you gotta remember. Learn to forgive others like Jesus forgave you. That's it. He's a rabbi. He's our teacher. By the way, if that sounds impossible, it is, but he'll help you do impossible, supernatural things. 
As disciples of Jesus, that's our call. In fact, that is his command. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're like, this is crazy talk, totally get it. I'm telling you, Jesus is not just the only way to die, though. He's the best way to live. This is the best way to live. But if you follow Jesus, this is his call as his disciples. And it's echoed all throughout scripture. Look at Ephesians chapter four. I think it's verse 32. It says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. What does it say? Just as in Christ... God forgave you. There's a just as. Forgiving one another just as in Christ, Messiah, God forgave you. If you know this is an area of challenge for you, maybe because you have experienced significant and deep wronging over and over again, maybe just because you could be petty and you like to hold grudges, whatever the case might be, if this is a difficult area for you, there are some incredible books on forgiveness that were very helpful in prep. The two that I would recommend the most, there's a book called Forgive by the late Reverend Dr. Tim Keller which is an incredible resource. Thank God for the blessing that Tim Keller was. The other one is called The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu. He's out of South Africa, experienced the horrors and the wickeds of of apartheid and, and speaking from a place of experience, deep experience, a very, very wise, insightful read. Sort of the breakdown is oftentimes when we're dealing with uh, forgiving others, when we're dealing with counting offenses, sometimes this is as a result of big things. And I mentioned this already, I want to be sensitive here, like oftentimes our wounds come from deeply, whether they were intended or unintended, I mean, there is abuse, there is is trauma, there are very real, deep realities, and and this is where the, the benefit, thank God for the gift of like counselors, especially counselors who follow Jesus and are using biblical wisdom with professional training. Like there, there are, I'm not trying to make this some trivial thing. I'm like, just do it. Why, how hard can it be? It's supernaturally hard. Let's just be all on the same page here. Sometimes holding offense and unforgiveness comes from very big things. And that takes big energy and big prayer. And we would love to walk with you on that journey of support. You've got all of heaven on your side and all of heaven's people as well, God's people as well. And we'd love to walk and journey with you. Remember, forgiveness is not saying it's, it's okay what they did. It was wrong. It was wicked. It was sin. It was evil. Forgiveness is just saying, I am not the judge, God. You are. I can't handle that role. It is not within my framework to do it. I need you to do it. Opening up your hands. There there are consequences for wrongdoing on earth, uh, for all eternity, if unrepented. You say, John, they don't even care. Yeah, forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. This is what we often miss. Like Lewis Smedes, who has one of my favorite quotes on, on, on forgiveness, he says, to forgive is to release a prisoner from captivity only to realize that the prisoner was you. Often we're like, man, they've moved on with their life. They don't even care anymore. Why should I forgive them? Well, you're thinking that forgiveness is for them. It's not a gift for them. It's a gift for you. It's opening your hands so that the forgiveness of God, the comfort of God can flow into your life. The the healing power of God can flow into your life. Forgiveness is allowing God in as judge, arbitrator, healer, comforter. And I want to be sensitive here, but I want... I want us on the same page with what Jesus has to say because he loves us and he's always right. If you've been harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, I want you to hear these difficult words of Jesus and the call to forgive that are given for your good. Don't box out God any longer in unforgiveness, in bitterness, in holding on to offense. Forgive and let his healing power in. Sometimes forgiveness is dealing with big things. But in my 15 plus years of doing 
ministry stuff and pastoring and eight years pastoring here in South Florida, my overwhelming experience has been that most often forgiveness struggles do not start with big things. They start with little tiny things. They start with these little pebbles. They start with small offenses, whether intended, unintended, or often unrealized, and they grow over time with gravitas and emotional weight behind them. Oftentimes, our forgiveness struggles, if we are being truly circumspect, start with small things. A passing comment that came out wrong, it hits you kind of sideways, and you're like, did they? Did they? A text message that left you scratching your head like, uh, did they just, which by the way, can we just say, can we please stop having crucial conversations over text message? It has proven to be the least effective form of communication. There is no nonverbal to it. You have no idea what they meant. Can we just do that? Your life will be so much better. Okay, anyways, I'm done with my tirade, soapbox moment. Oftentimes it's an out of character response. You're like, man, this seems so unlike them, but it left you nonetheless hurt. Oftentimes, our challenges and struggles with unforgiveness and holding offense, they start with little pebbles, not big boulders. They start with little pebbles. Now, the problem is we have been poorly discipled or completely undiscipled by our culture in this area. And so on one hand, we've watched people get on social media and just scream at one another and look like fools. And so we're like, I'm not going to do that. So I guess I'm just going to not forgive and forget. I'm just going to forget in distance. And we isolate and alienate. And oftentimes, it's like quiet quitting relationships. Oftentimes, people don't even have any idea until they look around. They're like, well, I haven't seen that person for like three years. Because you've killed them in your heart. And they didn't even know. How do we get there? We get there because we have no schema of dealing with these small offenses. So they metastasize and grow, and they become larger and larger, and the dirt and the grime, and, and all of a sudden, these little pebbles become big boulders in our soul that drag us down. I really need us to consider, if you do not have a current personal schema for dealing with relational friction amongst the relationships that matter most, consider the outcome. I, your friends are amazing, right? Amen. Turn, look at a friend and be like, you're amazing. Your friends are amazing, right? Your family members are sometimes amazing, right? Hopefully, mostly amazing-ish, right? Um, but but how, how many of your friends are going to ever do you wrong, intentionally or unintentionally? Cien por ciento. One hundred percent of your friends will do you wrong. And if you do not have a schema for dealing with offenses, here is what will happen. I am not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but Jesus said it. You will take these little pebbles and you will bury them. You ever had a pebble in your shoe? Whoo, boy. You could walk for 30 seconds and be fine. You could walk for a couple minutes and be okay. You walk in that junk for a couple hours, all of a sudden this little tiny thing burrows its way into your body and begins to destroy you now from the inside. If we do not get a schema for appropriately dealing with the offenses that are inevitable from even well-intentioned, imperfect, and flawed human beings, which are the only type of people we have relationship with, by the way, unless you count AI and robots, and that's kind of weird. But anyways, different conversation where we're talking about human relationships. If, if you, if you, if I do not have a schema for dealing with the small pebbles of offense, you will end up quitting every single relationship and either living isolated and alone or with shallow relationships because you've never been on enough to say, I know this little thing seems so dinky and ridiculous and ah, I feel so dumb, but it really hurt me. 
I, I know this isn't your, I know, I know this is so unlike, but I just, but what did you mean by that? If we don't have a schema for dealing with these things, our relationships with people will be hindered. And ultimately our relationship with God, Jesus says, will be fractured. And if we don't repent for eternity. This approach to life, this approach to relationships doesn't end well. You're like, God won't wrong me. Yeah, you're right. God won't wrong you. But God says, if you don't forgive other people, I'm not going to forgive you. So <laughs> he laid out the terms of that relationship. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? Here's the principle, and I'm going to land it here at some point. I'm going on sabbatical, so I'm just like, I might preach long. Here's what I'd love for us to do. Then you don't have to hear from me in a couple months. I would love for us to get a gear for dealing with pebbles before they become boulders. This is the wisdom of scripture from Jesus and the trajectory of scripture when dealing with offense from people. Sometimes it's malicious and on purpose and they need to be called out in love. Sometimes it is unintentional and often they have no clue. So here's what the scripture tells us to do. Matthew 18, I told you I would, I would go back to this. Matthew 18, it says it like this. If your brother or sister sins, commits an offense, wrongs you, go and post on the internet about it. That was, it doesn't say that? Oh, that's so weird. I could have sworn it said that. That's what Christians do. That's so weird. Okay, it says, if your brother or sister sins against you, what does it say? Go and tell your microchurch leader about it. Sometimes you don't know how to deal with it maybe, but what are you ultimately supposed to do? If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them. Point out their fault. Just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, look at the heart posture that God is giving, that Jesus is giving for his people. And if they listen to you, what happens? You have won them over. The biblical vision is for reconciliation. You're like, okay, John, but what? Okay, I got it. Go to them directly, which by the way, can we just attest to, nobody does this. Like only the people of Jesus. Why would you knowingly put yourself in a space of vulnerability and potential harm after you already feel harmed? Nobody does this but the people of Jesus, because he says to now we'll get to why I think it's so wise in a second. You're like, but when exactly should I do that? I mean, what's the time frame that I should do that? Well, scripture helps interpret scripture. This is good hermeneutics. If you look later in the scripture in Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The context of this passage is dealing with people. He says, therefore, put off falsehood and don't lie to your neighbor. You're like, that's a weird segue to talking about dealing with people's wrongs. Well, have you ever interacted with, let's, let's call it a friend, and you were interacting with a friend, and, and, and they were like, hey, what's going on? And you're like, nothing. Are you okay? It seems like so. No, 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 I'm good. No, you're not. The reality is we feel vulnerable and afraid because we're like, it seems so small and petty. Here's what we're really afraid of. Are they just gonna think I'm like a, I'm a little loser, like I'm an emotional weenie, like I, I have no grit to me if I bring it up. So we take the pebble and we put it back in our shoe. That was a weird word. Take the pebble, we put it back in our shoe. And we just keep walking like everything's fine until we can't take it anymore. And we drift from the person in our hearts. He says, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Don't let the sin, sun go down on your anger. 
Don't give the devil. I'm convinced one of the largest demonic devil footholds in our world for sure, but especially in the church is exactly this right here. We don't know how to deal with pebbles. So we alienate ourselves from people when all it could have taken was a single conversation. He says, don't give the devil a foothold. When should I go and, and talk to my brother, if they, sister, if they wrong me, if they sin against me? It, it says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Now, now, let me clarify. Husbands and wives especially. This does not mean, mean if you are totally frustrated, angry, in the flesh, be like, the, Pastor John said, we can't let the sun go down, so we're gonna hash this out right now. That is not the spirit of wisdom and the biblical wisdom. That is a spirit of stupid. Do not do that, okay? Go to bed, wake up in the morning, pray and get in the spirit, and then have the conversation. The principle of the matter is when do you deal with little pebbles of offense? When do you deal with unforgiveness and potential brooding bitterness in your heart as soon as you possibly can? Because it's that big of a deal. Here's what I do. I don't think it's the best way, it is my way. And if you don't have a way, that is the wrong way. You gotta have a way for dealing with offense. If you wanna have good, thriving, deep relationships with people, and Jesus said ultimately with God, here's what I do. If or when someone wrongs or offends me, and it happens all the time, unintentionally, intentionally, the first thing is I, I do is I take it to Jesus. I take it to Jesus. One of the problems with going to another person at first, and I get there are, when there are exceptionally grievous offenses and you're like, I don't even know what to do. This is so big. Every now and then that happens. But most of the time, you know what to do. You just don't want to. Go to the person. When something happens, if you go to somebody else first, here's what happens. Our brains are very sneaky. We have these things called self-serving biases and we tell someone a story. And the reality was you were a little bit victim and a little bit villain. And it was kind of a little mixture, right? And then you tell the story and your friend, because they loves you, like you tell the story with you being a much more of the victim and much less, if any, of the villain. And then they reinforce that story and they're like, man, that was so messed up what they did. And all of a sudden, instead of leading towards repentance and reconciliation, you lean towards vindication and your unforgiveness. And you're like, yeah, it was. First thing I do, first 40, 24 hours, I bring it to Jesus. Man, Lord, when this happened, when that interaction, that thing that person said, I don't even know if they meant it like that, but it hurt me. It impacted me. It discouraged me. And oftentimes in that first 24 hours, the Holy Spirit in a very loving, gentle, and clear way will say, son, you are being a punkus. Right, because sometimes you're like, man, when you actually think about it and you spend time in prayer, you're like King David, like, Lord, it's me, isn't it? And right there, I'm like, Lord, I, I repent. And oftentimes within that first 24 hours, I don't actually need to go to the person at all. It's between me and God, I repent. I'm great in my heart towards the person they never even know. But if after 24 hours, the pebble is still digging into my foot, if after 24 hours, I still feel that, that friction in the relationship, I still feel that level of disconnect, I still feel that, man, I, I, it, it did hurt me, it did wrong, it was, then I love my brother or sister enough to go to them directly and say, hey, and you don't point the finger in some accusatory way, you say, hey, listen, I, I, I feel so dumb even bringing this up. I, I, I know you're hard. I, I, I know what you, I'm sure you didn't mean it this way. I'm sure you weren't trying to do it this way. But when this was said, it made me feel X, Y, Z. This works, by the way, with roommates, with spouses. If you want to have a great marriage, you're going to have to get good at this. And it made me feel, and then you share, not accusatorily, but vulnerably from the heart. You know what I've seen happen 90% of the time when I do that? 
people go, oh my gosh, John, I, I'm so, I had no idea. I, I told, thank you so much for telling me like, th- yes, you're right. I didn't mean to say, I didn't mean to do, I had no clue. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry. I'm like, man, no, it's good. I know you didn't mean to, but it hurt. I didn't want to hurt you. I'm so sorry. And we talk and guess what happens? The relationship doesn't get fractured and alienated 90% of the time. Plus the relationship gets deeper and the pebble goes away. I'm glad I didn't hit anybody with that. Imagine what it would look like if we as followers of Jesus began asking, just asking him, Lord, help me, teach me to forgive others like you've forgiven me. Imagine the deep relationships that could be formed. Here's the thing, conflict is unavoidable in relationships. You know what deep relationships have that shallow relationships don't? healthy conflict, healthy conflict to resolution. If you go to your brother, share with them their offense, and if they listen, you have won them over because God's heart is always for reconciliation and redemption. Now, I get it. There are aberrations. There are big things, sometimes the most loving thing for a deep, deep wound you might get with your counselor and figure out, oh, actually, what needs to happen in this space is forgiveness and then distance. And and we need to figure out if trust can be restored. Amen. There are always nuances in every conversation, but I'm talking about the pebbles, y'all. If we're being honest, most of our unforgiveness starts with the pebbles. Jesus came to bring life and life abundantly. Jesus' call to forgiveness is not because he's a spiritual bully, it's because he is the good, good shepherd and he loves you and wants you to flourish and thrive. He wants you thriving in your relationship with him and your relationship with other people, but other people are imperfect, which is why the method for this gives forgiveness. I came across a story this week and put a picture up here on the screen. This is Eric and his wife, June. You can't see it in this photo, but she is pregnant with their second child, and this is their 18-month-old daughter. Shortly after this photo was taken, June, his pregnant wife, and their 18-month-old were in a car and got in a tragic and deadly car accident. She passed away along with the baby in her womb. Their 18-month-old miraculously survived, and they were killed in a vehicular homicide at the, man, at the hands of a man named Matthew Swatzel. He was a firefighter, law-abiding citizen, had worked a, some sort of a shift that was really long, fell asleep at the wheel, got in a car accident, ended up killing this lady and her child. And, and the husband, Eric, happened to be a youth pastor. This happened in Georgia, true story. As you can imagine, the driver, this, this firefighter EMT, was, I mean, he saves lives for a living. Crushed. Dem- I mean, crushed. Pastor Eric says the first couple days, weeks even, were just a blur. I mean, you're, you're numb, you're in disbelief. You, you know, all the stages of grief. You guys know him, all the stages of grief. He said that ultimately, I realized I preach about this stuff all the time. read the article he said I, I, I just realized oh now I have to live it and so as Matt the driver was going through the trial process he went and petitioned on behalf of a lessening of lighter sentencing which ultimately the judge ended up saying okay to he got a bunch of service hours and, and some different things but did not get the, the 
time he was going to get, he was in store to get. And this pastor, Eric, said, at each time I thought, okay, now, now I've let him go. He said, I sense the spirit of God nudging me with this compassion that was beyond my human ability to keep forgiving and keep loving more. He ends up meeting with this guy every other week for two and a half years, discipling him. <laughs> it's crazy. Ends up discipling this guy. This other guy, Matt, who was a driver of the car, and his wife ends up getting pregnant. The due date for their child ends up being on the birth date of the 18-month-old he almost killed. Goes back into a pit in a spiral. Eric is like, man, I got him hooked up with a counselor. I was like, it's all good. And God said, no, step in. Ends up walking along with the counselor with this guy through grief, through trauma. The guy ends up saying, you know, honestly, I don't think I would be here today if it was not for this pastor and the forgiveness that he lived that I now believe myself. Now that's crazy. You know, that sounds like a Hallmark movie, that's real life. That's the gospel. Why do stories like this move us so much? Because it is the truth of so many of our experiences and the longing is so many other of our desire. This is what, right? This is what God did for us. The pastor ended up saying, he's like, you know, it sounds crazy to you. He was talking to like Today Magazine or something. He's like, it sounds crazy to you, but this was the most logical thing in the world for me. He said, I know what it's like to kill someone's child. I did it. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He said, it was me. And so forgiveness is not something that God is demanding of me, some, like some petulant child in the sky that's asking me to live up to a standard that he's never gonna do himself. He said, all God called me to was the very thing he did for me. And he does it over and over and over and over again. So I get that it sounds crazy to you. It was the most logical thing for me possible. Romans 5 says it like this. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. Very rarely for a righteous person will someone die. Maybe for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Since then, we have been justified by his blood, made right. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Continue. For if while we were gods, what does it say? Enemies. Isn't Christianity, isn't church, it's just about a bunch of good people who are just trying to be religious? No, no, you've, you've misheard the story. If that's what you think, you've misread the story. The story is about a bunch of enemies of God that rebelled, pushed him away, said, I want nothing to do with you. And God in his love continued to pursue, continued to offer forgiveness, if only it would be grasped until the point that many of those same enemies said, I am wrecked, I am done. I have ruined my life. If you'll still have me, I'm yours. To which he offered reconciling to him through the death of his son. How much more reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Why don't you join me as we pray? Jesus, many of us in this room, many of us watching online, many of us watching in Guyana have been wronged 
in deep and significant ways. And I am praying your healing touch and your healing power would manifest even right now. For some of us, Lord, we've, we've allowed small pebbles to burrow their way into our souls and they're wounding us from the inside out, destroying our relationships with other people and with you. Would you come to our rescue? Holy Spirit, would you move?